Welcome to the Christian Drummers Podcast, discussing the art of drumming to the glory of Almighty God. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. Howdy, friends. It is, as always, a glorious time to be a drummer in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful and true God, second person of God the Holy Trinity, the divine Lagos. As always, it's been a long time since I've gotten to a new episode, so I want to thank you for sticking with me. I've been playing a lot lately, so I guess that's a good problem to have. On today's episode... We're going to have a little shorter episode in that there's only going to be a couple of segments. Um, We're going to, first of all, finish with kind of an epilogue to the Drumming and Dominion series with um, just some basic principles to make your practice more productive. Then I'm going to expand on some things that I touched on briefly in the episode about dealing with difficult situations. A couple of friends suggested that I speak more about what we do when we're playing in churches that we don't necessarily line up with in terms of their theology or practice. So um, I hope I won't get myself fired. Anyway, let's, uh, let's start and dive right in. Okay, so let's talk about practicing. If you're a musician of any sort, this is your main job. So I'm going to read what was my final column in the Drumming and Dominion series in HM Magazine. And then uh, it's got a lot of bullet points, so I'll just read a point and maybe extemporaneously expand on that if I feel like I have anything to add. So, the name of the column was Foundations of Effective Practicing. Having established an understanding of what we as Christians are doing when we undertake our pursuit of drumming, we now turn to how we go about that task. The following are some of the principles which will guide our study. Number one, practicing is to be our primary day-to-day concern. Performances rest on, or depend upon, the knowledge and skills that a drummer has developed in his practice time. The quality of a performance is established by the work done prior to it. Therefore, the major thrust of our work as drummers is in preparation for our performances. Unless you're on the road and playing every night, that's pretty much true. Most of your day-to-day life as a drummer, even as a hobbyist, really should be spent preparing yourself to perform. I was talking about this just the other day with somebody in regards to rehearsals, as I've already talked about a million times. Not a big fan of long rehearsals. I don't see rehearsal as a time to learn a song. I see rehearsal as a time to get the song together as a group, and therefore I want to show up prepared. But even that, I want to prepare myself with my skills and knowledge in such a way that even that is very minimal unless the music's extremely challenging. You know, my goal in the practice room is basically to get myself to where I can pop open a chart and start playing. You know, I want to have the knowledge 
to understand what I'm supposed to do. And then I want to have my physical skills develop to the point where I can instantly execute an idea. So that's ultimately, you know, uh, I guess we're going to say, what is our, what is our ideal? The ideal is a mind full of musical knowledge and a body trained to execute it instantly. Pretty elusive goal. I tend to pursue it the rest of my life, but that's really what we're going after, isn't it? Number two. Practicing is to be self-consciously oriented toward equipping ourselves to perform better. This seems obvious, but the majority of practicing I hear around my rehearsal space isn't really practicing, it's playing. True practice is deliberately repeating things one cannot play or play well. In other words, if you are playing something you can already do at a performance level, You're not practicing. See, most guys will say, well, I'm going to go practice the drums. And they put on headphones and they play along to a bunch of songs. Or they play a big, long drum solo and practice licks over and over and try to come up with fills or things like that. Really, that's playing because you're doing things that you can already do. Now, of course, any time you spend on the drums is going to help you out in some way. So you can gain a little facility, and maybe stumble on some things that you hadn't thought of before when you do that sort of thing. But it's terribly inefficient. And so really, when you're sitting down to plan a practice time, you need to be working on something that you really can't do. Maybe it's some coordination exercise. Maybe it's um, doing some exercises to gain some speed, um, practicing rudiments to get some facility. Or... And this is something that a lot of young guys don't think about very much. Maybe you're refining something that you can already do. And really, the more experience you get, um, the more you're going to, well, the higher your standards are going to get. For example, I work on a lot of coordination exercises that involve playing 16th note patterns very, very slowly. Um, The purpose of that isn't really to learn a bunch of stickings or something like that because, you know, I, I already know them. I've been playing them for a long time. But to get just a little bit more exact, to get just a little bit more control, to make them sit just a little bit better. Um, I talked about on a friend's podcast, I talked about an exercise that I do in which I practice odd subdivisions in between some of the even subdivisions that we're used to. Why? Not because I intend to play a bunch of quintuplets, I like to, but so that my 16th notes and my sextuplets sit better. I'm just trying to refine my timekeeping, my ability to get across subdivisions in a way that feels good. So that's more like practicing something that I don't do as well as I could. Does that make sense? So moving on. Number three. Though practice requires a great deal of repetition, it doesn't have to be a drag. When we are easily bored, the problem doesn't lie in the material, it lies in our attitude. If playing the drums is what we love, then doing it for an hour or two ought not to be boring. It becomes boring because often we do not seek enjoyment from playing the drums as much as we're looking to be entertained. 
We are to remember what we are doing and what it is for. Now, my friends, as a teacher, this is the biggest hurdle that any of my students have to overcome, and I had to overcome it. A lot of times when we come to the drums, we're just looking for entertainment, and that's cool. I mean, especially if you're a hobbyist. I mean, we're just playing the drums for the enjoyment of playing the drums. But again, that's playing and not practicing. But because we come in with this expectation, we're just sitting down with our instrument to be entertained, then doing things that we don't find entertaining, like repeating that figure over and over and over again or something like that, that bores us. Once we're bored, we start daydreaming or we start thinking about something we would rather do or we start thinking about how tedious it all is. And what I find happens is you just don't do it anymore. I'm telling you, when I have a student who's not making a lot of progress, it's usually that they're not doing enough of the repetition necessary to gain the skill. And really, most of us don't, because really your repetitions ought to be measured in the hundreds. So what we want to do is keep reminding ourselves, look, I like to hit the drums. And if I truly like to hit the drums, then it really doesn't matter how I'm hitting them. You know what I'm saying? It's in the same way that I can enjoy playing a lot of music that I really wouldn't spend a lot of time listening to. But I'm playing the drums and I'm making music and I love it. So if I can learn just to enjoy the act of hitting the drums, then the fact that I'm repeating an exercise over and over is a pleasure. And um, with that, along with the other things that we're going to discuss, it makes the whole thing actually really relaxing and enjoyable for me. Number four. If you cannot play something without making mistakes, you are playing it too fast. This is the primary source of frustration for any student I have ever taught and for me as well. We keep trying to play something at a tempo that we can't handle until we get fed up and quit. A better alternative is to play so slowly that you can't make a mistake. It doesn't matter how slow that is. Try one note at a time until you can handle it. Now, for some reason, everybody has this tempo in their head that they think they should be able to play things at. So they always start at that tempo. And man, this happens every time. I've got a student playing something, they trip it up. I say, slow it down. They play it at the exact same speed. I say, slow it down. They play it at the exact same speed. I say, no, slow it down. <laughs> this happens all the time. So again, don't seek to be entertained and don't seek to impress yourself. Just seek to repeat the exercise, right? So my rule is if I make more than a couple of mistakes at something, I cut the tempo in half. There's an exercise that is very difficult for me that I first started playing at 20 beats per minute. And now I'm up to 40. You know, but that's cool. I don't care how fast it is. I care that I'm learning what I'm trying to learn. And I don't want to waste my time by putting mistakes into my mind. So I don't want to spend any time making mistakes. Or I want to minimize the amount of mistakes that I make so that I'm repeating 
things right over and over. Um, I don't want to practice making mistakes, and I don't want to practice sounding bad. So I'm going to hit the drums properly. I'm going to do it in the right sequence, and I'm going to do that over and over and over again. Then the speed will come. I don't care about that. Number five. Practicing something begins with understanding it. We often try to play something without taking the minute or two that it takes to simply look through it or count it down. Begin an exercise by shaking hands with the new concept, movement, or pattern and have a clear idea in your mind of what you are learning. This will make your repetition of the exercise much more effective. Just simply knowing what it is that you're going to do in your practice routine and more importantly, knowing why you are doing it really goes a long way to alleviate the boredom as well. You have a clear understanding of what you're trying to gain, and so you're willing to do the work to earn it. And then I concluded the column with just a call to evaluate your own practice routines in light of those principles. But I wanted to add another thing that will help fight the temptation to boredom is to keep your attention focused on what you're doing. I learned this concept from Mike Mangini that you will dramatically increase the productivity of your practice routines if you just pay attention to them. You know, most of us kind of just look around the room and, you know, think about whatever while we're practicing. I used to practice seven hours a day but it was also at a time when I was getting back into the church. And so what I do is just practice things over and over, like on a practice pad, and I would read. You know, I'd be reading C.S. Lewis or the Church Fathers or something crazy like that. But I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing, you know. Or often I would grab a practice pad and watch a movie and things like that. And I got a little bit out of that, certainly, because I'm, I'm physically exercising. But man... When I stopped all distractions and, and when I started practicing in such a way that I'm actually looking at my hands or looking at my feet as they do the things I'm working on and I'm saying something out loud and I'm deliberately keeping my attention on what I'm doing, first of all, it, it sticks better. But second of all, time flies. I don't get that feeling of, oh man, am I done yet? You know, because I'm really actively engaged in what I'm doing. So um, add that to your arsenal of practice principles. And again, evaluate what you do in the practice room in terms of that. And then uh, we'll probably get a little more detailed about this in episodes to come. So in the meantime, uh, get out to the woodshed. Thanks, Todd. That's my friend Todd Wright, everybody. Todd suggested this next segment topic when we were texting on the Texas Worship Podcast Federation trademark group text. Todd suggested that I expand upon the difficulties of playing for hire in churches with whom I may not agree 100% in terms of their theology or their practice. Now, that's actually been a really difficult struggle for me, especially in the past. See, there was a time where I once even considered 
getting out of the business altogether. As you listen to this podcast, you will note that I'm very serious about my theological distinctives, and I'm also very, very concerned with reforming the worship of the evangelical church. So, during this time, a friend and I were talking very seriously about getting out of this because we wondered, first of all, if we were part of the problem, and second of all, if we were being unfair to the people who hired us because we didn't necessarily see things the way that they did. But right around that time, we were listening to a sermon series by Douglas Wilson, and he started off with a story about how he became convinced that it was wrong for his church to use grape juice in the Holy Communion. But he knew for a fact that if they just made the switch to wine overnight, most of the people in the church would leave. So, he began a long process of teaching his people and um, correcting some of their theological presuppositions that would lead them to want grape juice, and slowly started to bring them around and then finally made the switch to the exclusive use of wine in the Holy Communion. So he talked about how every week he would get up and pray silently, Lord, we're going to do it again. Please have mercy on us and bring us to a place where we're being more obedient. And that really resonated with us, and it really struck me that a large part of my ministry is back to the church not only in terms of just helping to lead the music and the singing and the praise, but also by being the guy who may have a different point of view and may ask some questions or um, state some things that no one is considering at that point. And I began a process of always questioning, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And what are the presuppositions behind that? And since I consider this a ministry of sorts, then my entire goal is to serve. And Todd suggested that I call this segment Subversion Through Service because my ultimate goal is to subvert the system. Hail Hydra. Now, I want to start by saying this. As I said in Episode 7, we're making a distinction here between what's called adiaphora, or indifferent things, and heterodoxy, and heresy, okay? I don't play anywhere where there's going to be full-on heresy or some kind of heterodox practice. I just would never take that gig. No amount of money or no circumstances would place me in that situation. So the differences that I may have with some of the places that employ me are adiaphora, and though I take them very seriously— And though I am trying to maybe have some influence in another direction, they aren't the kind of things that one breaks fellowship over. And as I said, I can and do worship alongside my brothers and sisters in these other places, gladly and with gratefulness. Now, the churches that have been kind enough to employ me have been unbelievably kind and gracious to me. The brothers and sisters there love the Lord, and they worship Him with a sincere, full heart. And I am so thankful that I get to be part of what they do. Now, having said all that, we can really talk. (laughs) Okay, I want to give you some real-world examples of the types of things that are a problem for me. 
probably be different for you, but they fall into categories. And so we can maybe um, speak to each category. And then I want to give you some guiding principles and then some specific actions that can help you deal with some trouble that you might run into. Now, obviously, the big conflict on the map is going to be theological. Usually the presuppositions driving everything that a church is doing depends on some very specific theological positions that you may or may not hold. Here's an example. The theology and the presuppositions behind the structure of most evangelical churches today, which is revivalist in nature, are things that I, as a Reformed man, entirely reject. But those are the kind of services that are likely to have a rock band and employ a drummer. So even just the very form of what I'm doing when I'm working is based on something that I don't hold. Specifically, that may play out in some of the content of the music. You know, a lot of the lyrics that are being written in the kinds of worship songs that end up popular enough to be in all the places you might be playing are really designed more to evoke a feeling in the person singing so that the song becomes marketable and has mass appeal and is radio-friendly and is therefore going to be used in all those churches. And a lot of it may have theological trouble, or a lot of it may simply be silly, or a lot of it may be uncomfortably romantic. And I run into that a lot. Also, the musical content. Um... I've played enough eighth note builds for a while. You know what I mean? So there may be some musical things going on that you don't really care for. And I've already explained to y'all, I'm kind of a prog rock nerd, so um, some of the stuff is really pedestrian to me. It's not that I'm saying everything should be prog rock, but maybe some of it should be. (laughs) Also, certain practices may be troubling for you if you hold to certain positions. Give you an example. I don't like to be present when somebody is being baptized for the second time. I agree with Pastor Wilson about the use of grape juice. I don't like to see people emotionally manipulated into performing some action. You know, like, let's all stand and do this, or let's all come up front and do that, or something like that. Now, these are just some of the types of things that trouble me. And I want to give you some overarching principles and some specific actions about how to deal with such things. But I want to stress again, remember, my concern is with reform. So I'm going to be trying to subvert these things, but I'm going to be trying to do it the right way, which is by serving. So therefore, the guiding principles behind serving the church, above all, is simply going to be love. Love for the brethren. I may think my brothers and sisters are wrong about some specific thing that they're doing, or I may think they're wrong about some principle guiding the whole thing, but they're still my brothers and sisters because, again, we are speaking of adiaphora and not of things that would cause one to break fellowship. So love for my brothers and sisters is going to mean not being harsh or judgmental towards them, Not showing up with a chip on my shoulder trying to tell them how wrong they are about everything. But simply to accept that they're seeking to worship God as best as they know, just as I am. And we all have our blind spots. 
and I want to love their congregation enough to guide them to the Lord. He'll work it all out. And dovetailing with that is the principle of Catholicity. There is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And though we may be split into different denominations right now, since I believe the church is in her infancy, we'll work it all out. God will work in us and bring it all together. In the meantime, I recognize that my brothers and sisters of other branches of Christ's church are in fact my brothers and sisters. We are one. We worship as one. I'll be talking about that in later podcasts. And therefore, I can be there and be present and be involved cheerfully. Now, how do these things manifest in specific actions? The very most important action I can take as I try to subvert through service is submission. I'm not the pastor of the church. I'm not the one making the decisions about what happens or about what's sung or about what is said. I'm simply one under the authority of whoever God has placed above me. And so I'm going to cheerfully be obedient. If you want me to play this song and I have a problem with this song, chances are I'm still going to play it because it's not my call. And I want to submit cheerfully to the authority of the people above me because I don't want to be a burden to them. This way they may see my humility towards them and have a sympathetic ear to the things that I might talk about. Prayer is a very specific action. Prayer for the people, prayer for myself. And I may sometimes be praying something along the lines of what Pastor Wilson talked about. Lord, we don't know what we're doing here, but you do. You see our hearts. Please have mercy and bring us to a point of reform. And that goes along with worship. I may not agree with what's driving something. I may not agree with the entire content of the lyrics of a song I'm playing. I may not agree with a lot of things. I may not agree with what the preacher's going to say after I'm done playing. But I need to be presently worshiping the Lord alongside with my brothers and sisters. Worship is a weapon against all the sins in our hearts. And if I come to the Lord with a sincere heart and offer him worship in the midst of something that I'm having trouble with, there's a lot of power in that. I think it goes without saying that I'm going to try to play the drums to the best of my ability. I want my work to be up to a standard of excellence that it can never be questioned. I want to be offering my best to people with whom I might disagree so that they see that I'm not holding anything back. And that may lend a more sympathetic ear to the concerns that I might raise. Now, all of this comes under the heading of service. I hope you can see that, that anytime we're seeking for reform in the church or anytime we're seeking to spread the gospel in the world, the way that we do it is the way Christ did it. We humble ourselves and we serve and we do the best that we can and hopefully gain some influence um, gain a sympathetic ear, and I've been overwhelmed with who will listen to me and who might actually consider the things that I say. I don't always say it well. I'm usually kind of a jackass about it, but even so, God has opened many ears, and I think 
that's come by years and years of faithful service in different places that I've played. So I don't know if that makes a lot of sense to y'all, but if it does, or if it doesn't, I would love to hear from you and talk about it. How are you serving in a way that you can have some influence beyond simple things like kick, snare, hat? Okay, I'd like to thank you once again for listening. Thanks for hanging with me. I thank you that you've been patient with my erratic schedule. And I ask that you would please rate and review me on iTunes and share this podcast. Perhaps if we can get it a little more popular, I can devote more time to it. This episode's shout-outs go to my dear friend Frank Hart. Frank is both the pastor and one of the worship leaders at... New Church in Katy, Texas, and New Church Podcast is available on iTunes, and you should subscribe and listen. Frank's a great guy, and he's an extraordinary preacher. There is a new Frost album, my friends, and that's huge. The album is called Falling Satellites, and it contains the stellar drumming of Mr. Craig Blundell. I love this band, and you should check them out in all the usual places. Our closing prayer for this episode is a prayer for the unity of the church from the Book of Common Prayer. Pray with me. O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, deliver thy church, we beseech thee, from all prejudice and contention, and whatsoever else may hinder us from godly union and concord, that, as there is but one body and one spirit and one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so we may be all of one heart and of one mind, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and love, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.